Well, good morning, Calvary. I, I love that verse Reuben just referred to that the things in scripture are written so that we may have hope. And you know, we've been looking for the last two months through January and February at, at the book of Genesis and talk about something that was written a long time ago, right? It goes all the way back to the foundations of creation. And we've been looking through the Genesis series at the question of our origin story so that we can understand better who we are as humanity and, and what's God's purpose for us and how do we go forward knowing what's in our past. And, and we can look at all these things and apply them to our lives. The last two weeks, we've actually been looking at the life of a character in the Bible named Abraham. And you might say, well, what does a guy who lived 4,000 years ago have to do with my life today? Uh, but I hope that you've been encouraged as you've been listening and following along that he's more than just an Old Testament character, that in fact, as the New Testament tells us, we, we looked at that the last couple of weeks, that we, if we're followers of Jesus, then we are linked as spiritual descendants to Abraham. So his story becomes our story. His blessing, our blessing, his faith, our faith, his mission becomes our mission. And we saw how in Abraham, God started the redemption story, the process that God was using to claim back humanity, to bring humanity back to relationship with himself. We also see uh, through Abraham the origin of our faith. We saw this last week where it tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that becomes the template for faith, that we don't have to do anything, we don't have to say any magic words, it's just believing in God, putting our faith in Jesus, and God credits it to us as righteousness. He makes us right with himself. And so there's a lot more we could explore, but as we wrap up our Genesis series, we're gonna to conclude today with a dramatic scene in Genesis 22, where we find the origin of sacrificial love. Now, as I was preparing for this, I, I Googled the concept sacrificial love because I thought, I wonder what Google has to say about this. And what was interesting is I only found references that had something to do with Christianity or biblical faith. And then it began to make sense because I thought, well, the, the concept of sacrificial love is out there in the world, but it's not natural to us as human beings because the nature of humanity is, is what? It's self-centeredness, it's self-preservation, self-actualization, right? Uh, Freud and Darwin and the humanist evolution put self as the highest priority to guard and to protect. And so if you naturally study human beings in our natural environment, you're gonna find self and ego at the center of it. So to understand the concept such as sacrificial love, we have to study something supernatural, something outside of ourselves. It's a concept that humanity loves to talk about. You know, we write songs about it. We, we make films about it. But it's a concept that is actually foreign to our natural humanity. So God has to introduce it to us. And in Genesis 22, we're going to see where God introduces to us the concept of sacrificial love. All right, so I'd like to invite you to stand as we're going to read uh, in honor of God's word, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. And it says, Sometime later... God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a, human, as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yeah, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on this boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I don't know how familiar you are with the story, but in reading it again, I'm, I'm a little bit struck and say, wow, this is a, it's an, it's an emotional story. It's, it, it packs some, some, some difficult things. Uh, but before we dive into it, we need to review a little bit where we've been with Abraham. In Genesis 12, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that God made an amazing promise to Abraham. Now he promised him to, to bless him and to make him into a great family and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Amazing promise, but there's just one problem, right? Abraham doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have a, a son or daughter of his own. And so he's thinking, well, how can God create a family that's going to become a nation that's going to bless the world through me? So he needs a son. Now we find like last week, we looked at Abraham in Genesis 15. We find out that he's blessed. He's successful in many ways, but he still has no child, no heir. And he asked God this question, right? He says, what can the Lord give me? And we see that God promises to do what Abraham can't do for himself. And that's where we find that Abraham believes God and he credits it to him as righteousness. That becomes the New Testament template for our faith and our salvation by grace alone. Just believe God and he credits it to us as righteousness. But God is not finished with Abraham. He's not finished shaping his faith, shaping his character. By Genesis 22, we see that he has a son. Isaac here is about maybe 12 years old, more or less, by the time of this story. But God is not finished with Abraham. And I, I would propose to us one reason why is because big things require big character, right? God wants to do some big things in the life of Abraham and his family. And he needs Abraham to have big character and big faith. So the first thing we see here is that God challenges Abraham's faith. In verses one and two, it's very obvious, right? God calls Abraham. He says, here I am. And God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. If there's any doubt, we understand who he's talking about. And go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to the place I will show you. Now, why would God do this? Why would God say, take your son, the son you love, the son of the promise, and go there? Now, if you're not familiar with the God of the Bible, 
You might think logically so that, wow, this God is a cruel and evil God, right? He is calling his, his follower Abraham to sacrifice his child. Now that was not, that was not unusual in that time with these other gods that other tribes and deities had set up for themselves, other cultures. It was not unusual to have human sacrifice. And yet, what, when you get to know the rest of the story, when you get to know who God is in the Bible, you begin to say, wait, that's inconsistent. Surely God was not intending that, that Abraham would actually sacrifice his son. It's inconsistent with the rest of what we know about God. So what's going on here then? Why is God doing this? Well, I, I believe that, that when we come to faith in God, God begins to, after a period of time, challenge our faith. And so why does he do that? Why does he challenge Abraham's faith? Why does God challenge and try to grow our faith? I would say it's because he loves us. And I'm not just giving you this as theory this morning. I'm giving you this as part of my own testimony, my own experience. As, as many times when God is, has, I feel like he's stretching my faith, he's challenging me, it's because he loves us and he wants better things for us. Let me give you an example. Again, in the scripture, it says that, that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength is the greatest commandment. Now, why? Why is that the greatest commandment? Is it that God is a narcissistic God? He needs humanity to be thinking about him all the time and praising him all the time? Again, you might think that if you're not familiar with the God of the Bible, but the God of the Bible shows us very clearly God is not a narcissistic God, quite the opposite. And so then you have to ask the question, why? Why does God want us to center our affection and our attention on him as the primary being in our lives? And I would suggest to you it's that because he loves us. It's for our own good. God's glory and our good are not mutually exclusive. And I would suggest the opposite, that God's glory is our best good. As I was thinking about this, I remembered uh, a film that I used to, a movie I used to watch with our kids. Uh, we, we quote it from time to time. Uh, I think it's called Megamind. Any of you familiar with that? Um, and, and so Megamind has, no, not Megamind, I'm sorry, The Incredibles. I'm, I'm getting my my uh, animated films confused. In The Incredibles, there's the, the family, The Incredibles, and then there's this character called Frozone, and he's also a superhero. And, you know, disaster's coming onto the city, so Frozone is frantically looking for his super suit so he can go out there and save the world along with The Incredibles. So he's asking his wife, remember, he's asking his wife, where is my super suit? And she said, why are you looking for it? We're going on a date tonight. And he says, well, the world's in danger. And she answers, our date is in danger, right? She has a priority, like, hey, we're gonna do this. And then he says what? He says, come on, this is for the greater good. And she gives this great line, I am the greatest good you're ever gonna get. What are you talking about the greater good? Uh, this is a, a, a funny example, right? But, but it made me think about that and no offense to wives or no offense to husbands if, you're, if, if your spouse is thinking that. But when God is our highest priority, that is our greatest good. When God is our highest priority, that is the greatest good we're ever gonna get. And it's not just for us, right? It becomes the greatest good for our loved ones when we make God the highest priority in our lives. And so I think God wants to give us the opportunity to test our faith, to put him first at the center on the throne so that we can experience how much he loves us and how much he wants to do in and through our lives. So God is going to challenge your faith because he loves you too much not to. 
He wants to stretch us and he wants to make sure that as we grow in our walk with him, that he keeps, we keep him at the center and his first place in our lives. Jesus put it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus told us, you know, if you put God first, everything else will fall into its proper place. And yet we find in our lives so many times things get in the way of putting God first, don't they? And we're going to see that in Abraham's example too. But how does Abraham respond to this challenge? We see it in verses three through eight that Abraham trusts God completely. Now, I don't know how he did this, right? But look at verse three. Verse three says, early the next morning, Abraham got up. And I'm thinking, how did he sleep if he even slept at all, right? If you're a parent, you understand this, right? If, if God is telling you, sacrifice your son, your, your daughter, there's no way as a parent you would ever do that. Our instinct is to protect them, right? So we don't know what agony is going on in Abraham's mind. It just tells us that the next morning he got up to do what God had called him to do. He's rising up to the challenge that God has given him. And listen to his face. Listen, listen to how much he trusts God completely. Not only does he get up the next day and obey, but it says in verse five, we will worship and then we will come back to you, right? He takes two servants with them and the donkey. They get to the place about a three-day journey where they're supposed to go. And he leaves the servants there with the donkey and he takes his son up. And that's where he says, hey, my son and I are going to go up. We're going to worship and then we will come back to you. Did you catch that? Abraham has some kind of radical faith here that somehow God is calling him to sacrifice his son and somehow they're both going to come back. He trusts completely in God. And, and we see that one more time in verse eight. You know, Isaac's not a dumb kid, right? He's paying attention. He's reading the signs as they're going up. They've left the donkey. They've left the servants. They've got the wood. They've got the fire. Dad's got a knife. And he asks the question, right? The logical question, where is the sacrifice? And how does Abraham answer? Because nobody else knows about this besides Abraham, right? That what God had called him to do. And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide. So somehow Abraham trusts completely in God. How does he do that? How does he get to that point? It's what you and I want to know, right? How can we have that kind of radical faith in God? Well, we're going to find out in a moment how Abraham gets there. But I think the point of challenge here for us is that, that the greater the challenge, the greater Abraham's faith increased. And, and we, get, we get to comparing ourselves sometimes with people like Abraham and we say, well, there's no way I could have that kind of faith. I mean, that's why he's a biblical character, right? Because that's faith of biblical proportions. It's way beyond us. But no, this, the Bible is actually stories of human beings like you and me, right? Through whom God does extraordinary things. And so what I want to challenge us to at this point in the, in, the, in the story is that we can have that level of faith and trust in God because we have the same God. You see, it doesn't matter the level of faith that we have, right? It's try, trying to figure out, okay, Abraham, how'd you get to that level of faith? That I want that same level. That's the wrong question. The, the right question is to say, what kind, of, what kind of belief or view do you have about God? See, it's not a matter of how much faith you have. It's how big do you think God is? Because your view of God will then determine the level of your faith. You, you follow me? It's not that a level of our faith determines what God can do. It's that your view of God will determine the level of our faith. And so I believe we can have the same radical trust in God because we have the same God that Abraham has. 
And so what happens next in verses 9 and 10? We read that when they reach the place, they're climbing up this hill to the mountain. When they reach the place that God told him about, Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. He binds his son Isaac and he lays him on the altar on top of the wood. I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, surely this is not you. This is not the God of love. This is not something you should want. But we see Abraham take even one more step, right? He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This is getting real, right? There's, Abraham has come to the point of no return. He's put Isaac on the altar and he reaches out to take the knife. Do you feel the drama, the, the agony, maybe as a parent, especially, you're like, no, no, this cannot be. But let's bring that home. Let's make it personal, right? We're talking about Abraham, but again, if his story is our story, what are the parallels here? Well, let me ask you this. Has, has God ever asked you to put something on the altar, whatever that is? Has he ever asked you to, to sacrifice something, to give something up because it's getting in the way of your relationship with him, perhaps it's getting in the way of what he wants to do in your life. And it could be a bad thing or it could be a good thing. But, but you know, this idea of, 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 of Abraham putting Isaac on the altar being a parallel for our lives is something that uh, a guy named A.W. Tozer uh, was a great preacher and writer. He wrote, wrote this book called The Pursuit of God. I highly recommend it. He was so passionate about God. And, and as a college student, I read this book and it really, really began to focus me on how to follow God more passionately, more wholeheartedly. And in chapter two of The Pursuit of God, which A.W. Tozer, by the way, wrote this on a train ride from Chicago to McAllen. He was coming down to McAllen for some kind of event. And so it's just kind of, kind of cool that we have that connection. So he writes this. And in chapter two, he writes about the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he said, it's because God wants us to experience the blessedness, catch this, the blessedness of possessing nothing. And so you ha I had to dig into that. What does that mean, the blessedness of possessing nothing? In other words, he's saying, you know, so that nothing can have a grip on your life so that you can become someone who's completely dedicated to God. But this requires putting some things on the altar. And the question again for us today is, what has God challenged you to put on the altar? Maybe he hasn't yet. Maybe you haven't asked the question. Or maybe he did it a long time ago and you've forgotten, right? But God challenges us to give up the things that grab hold of us, that hold us back. And of course, it could be bad habits. It could be addictions. It could be a toxic relationship. It could be some kind of unhealthy attachment in your life, or it could be something positive, right? Isaac was a gift. He was a blessing, and God challenged Abraham to put it on the altar. I've done that before. I've done it, I feel like I've had this experience a couple of times, but my first time goes back to those college years. I was reading this book, and I felt really challenged because there was this dating relationship that I felt was possessing me, right? It, it wasn't something healthy and something, something that was getting in the way of my relationship with God. It wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. But I felt like God was telling me, put the relationship up on the altar. Let it go. And so I did what a lot of us do, right? We put it on the altar, and then we know the rest of the story, right? We're like, okay, God, now what are you going to do? How are you going to give this back to me? And that's where Abraham goes a step further than we typically like to go, right? We'll sometimes put it on the altar, but after a few minutes, we might just kind of take it back. Right? But Abraham puts it on the altar, puts Isaac on the altar, and he reaches for the knife with full intent to drive it through. And again, this isn't a God who is evil, right? So, but, but Abraham is willing to go as far as God has called him to. And so what's going through his mind? 
Now think about that. All the promises of him being blessed and having a family that would become a great nation. How's that going to happen if he sacrifices his son? All the hope of the nations of the earth one day being blessed through him. All his earthly joy wrapped up in the son of the promise that he had. So in other words, all of his hopes and dreams and joy are back on the altar of uncertainty. And what's going to happen next? How, what would God do? How will God help Abraham cope with that loss? And again, I think at some point we, our human nature kicks in and we say, well, that's just too hard. God, sometimes the things you ask me to do are too hard. But I challenge us again, maybe it's because our view of God is too small. That's why we think God's challenges are too hard. Because listen what was going on in Abraham's mind. The, old, the New Testament often gives us insight back into the Old Testament. And Hebrews 11, 17 and 19 tells us this. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's who the promises were going to come through. But look at verse 19. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This gives us insight into what was going on in Abraham's mind and heart. He, he has come to trust God so completely that he says, okay, God gave me Isaac. It was a miracle in and of itself. He's calling me to give him back. I'm going to give him back. I trust him so completely. God could raise him from the dead. I think this is why he says, we will come back down because he believes that somehow, some way, God is not going to break his promise and he trusts him completely. He has a big view of a big God who can do the impossible. And through this, I think not only Abraham learns uh, something about God, but he learns something hugely important about himself. He learns that he discovers that he can actually trust God completely. And because he does trust God completely, then what does God do? God completely provides for Abraham. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham trusts God completely and God reciprocates. He completely provides for Abraham, the ram in the thicket. He names the place the Lord will provide. That is a challenge, but I hope it's also an encouragement to you that if you put all your trust in God, he will give you all of himself in return. He will provide fully everything you need. Now, it may not look like what you want it to look like, right? You may have to sacrifice something and figuratively speaking, right? Not, we're not saying you should ever drive a knife through any person, right? but figuratively speaking, you might have to sacrifice something and God may give you something different, something better, but it's always for our good. Remember, because God challenges our faith because he loves us and he does that for Abraham. But back to the beginning of this story, what does this story have to do with the origin of sacrificial love? Because if you notice here, Abraham didn't take Isaac's place, right? That would have been a sacrificial love story. It's just an animal that takes Isaac's place. Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac and we see how that challenges his faith. It grows his faith. It's for his own good. But God always has more to the story. Right? Don't miss this. 
God always has more to the story. When he's challenging our faith, there's always something else he's doing in the background. And it was true here of Abraham. Because remember where this, where this incident takes place? It tells us in verse 2 that it takes place in a place called Moriah. Earlier in the, in the chapter, it tells us that. Now, where is Moriah? Well, if you look at this map, Moriah is about a three-day journey, about 50 miles walking from Beersheba. Beersheba, that map right there. Beersheba is where Abraham was living at the time. And so he takes Isaac and his servants and his donkey, and they walk for three days to a place called uh, Moriah, which is far up there near Jerusalem. Now, what do you notice in that picture? Do you notice that there's several mountains along the way? <laughs> the whole path is full of mountains, right? So if all you need is a mountain for a sacrifice, why go three days? Why all the way over there? He could have just gone right up that first hill and done it there. But there's always more to this story. God is always at work in different ways. Because Moriah, as, it, as we find out in scripture, it, it means, the, the word Moriah means chosen by God, chosen by Jehovah. And it's the place where Abraham took Isaac for sacrifice, but it's also the place where a thousand years later, Solomon would build the temple of God in Jerusalem. Here's a picture of Mount Moriah in that area, that segment. You see that in the lower section, it's the city of David, the old city. And you see how it kind of slopes up this is where they would literally go up singing psalms to go to the temple because the temple is seated up a little higher. There you see the picture of the Dome of the Rock. And then, but in that section called Moriah, the highest point is over on that, on that other side in a place called Golgotha. So Abraham brings Isaac to this place, three-day journey, because there's something significantly happening there. A thousand years Solomon, later, Solomon builds the temple. Two thousand years later, Jesus comes up through the city of David, walks through that temple, takes his cross, and he goes all the way to Golgotha, to the hill called Calvary. And there he sacrifices his life for us. That is what God intended. That is why God sent Abraham on this three-day journey, because he's showing us the future. He's showing us that God ultimately proves to us how much he loves us by sacrificing his only son for us. He never intended for Isaac to be sacrificed, but it was a metaphor that, that God himself would sacrifice his son, Jesus, on the cross. And I, I feel like God is telling Abraham here, you're not going to sacrifice Isaac. That's not the point of the story. The point is that I want to show you where my son will die for the sins of the world. And so we see that Jesus in the Bible becomes that sacrifice of love that God provides for us. In John 1.35, it says that, that as John was with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus for the first time, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And then Revelation 13.8, it says that he was the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. You see, God's plan has always been to bring Jesus to that point, to that place called Moriah, and that he would sacrifice his son to, to show how much he loves us, to restore relationship between us and God. How much can you trust God? He's willing to give everything to us. How are we not willing to give everything to him? So in this story, we see Abraham and Isaac, and through them, God lays a foundation for where the story of the redemption of the world will culminate at the top of Mount Moriah, where Jesus, the Lamb of God, would take our place on the cross just like that ram took Isaac's place on the altar. 
This story took place 4,000 years ago, but it encourages me that 4,000 years ago, God was planning your salvation. He was planning my salvation with precise details so that we can be sure and know that God loves us. God loves us so much. He planned this moment for you and I. The question is, will we trust him back? I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we prepare uh, to have a time of response, I'd like to encourage you just to to do business with God. Uh, Is there something that, that God is calling you to put on the altar, to completely trust him, to let go of? trusting that he has something good and better for you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you need to renew your faith. Maybe you've been walking in your own strength and you need to renew your faith and say, Jesus, I wanna trust you more than anything. Be at the center of my life again. Or maybe, maybe you've never received Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, as your savior and your Lord, and you need to do that today. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite you during this song We're going to have a time of response. Whether you stay there or you want to come forward and make it real, we'll we'll designate the space as an altar, right? So if you want to come and kneel and pray, bring something to the altar, God is going to meet you. If you want one of us to pray with you, myself, a couple pastors, a couple of prayer partners will be here to pray with you if you want. But in these next five or six minutes, I just want to encourage you. If God is touching your heart, if God has challenged you in some way, don't miss the moment. Take the opportunity Give yourself completely to God and watch how he gives himself completely to you. He's already done it in Jesus and he wants to keep proving his love to you. Will you trust him completely? I'd like to invite you to stand. And again, as we sing, if you wanna come forward, make that step of faith, put something on the altar. I'll meet you down here while we sing, do business with God.